Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's scripture is from 1 Samuel chapter 18, 1 to 5, chapter 19, 4 to 7, chapter 23, 15 to 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and he saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Last week, it was encouraging to watch that video about our partnership with Promised Land Covenant Church in the Bronx, but sadly, tragically, my, Pastor Michael Carrion has informed me that there was a three-alarm fire uh, on his block in between the fire and the water damage from putting it out. Uh, his entire meeting space is gone. This space was used... Uh, to host not just their Sunday worship, but also many ministries and programs that they had during the week. And so as a partner in bringing joy to this city, I'm asking for our church to pray for theirs. Uh, Between COVID and this building, they've lost so much, and so we weep. We weep with our brothers. We're going to be releasing an additional $40,000 from our disaster relief fund immediately for them that we were already planning to give. But we'd like to actually raise an additional uh, set of funds for them. So if you'd like to give, you can click on the link below right here. Uh, that will go directly to help meet their immediate needs. We're going to continue to keep you updated about this through our social media spaces with what's happening. But for now, uh, join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, our hearts, our hearts are heavy this morning. We hurt with our brothers and sisters. And we ask how long, O Lord, how long 
Philippians 4.13 tells us that we can do all things through you who gives us strength. But right now, uh, we don't know how much longer we can go. Please, uh, Father, strengthen Michael Carrion and the team at Promised Land. Strengthen them for what lies ahead. Let them know that they're not alone. Let them know that you are nearest in trouble and in suffering because you're near with all those who suffer. Let them know that they're not alone, Father, and that we are with them. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning again. We are glad that you are joining us digitally at our church. And I stress church because sometimes it feels like with this online production, it's just a a video, a screen. But we are a group seeking to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Um, Everything we do boils down to that. To be a place where you're known, loved, and cared for. A place where we can joyfully reflect God's love together in the city. And so today's text speaks directly about what these relationships should look like. Unfortunately, the data that is coming out or and has come out is showing us that we're living during an epidemic of loneliness. And the pandemic is only making this worse. There was a, a 2019 Cigna survey that found that 61% of Americans report feeling lonely. 73% of Gen Z reports feeling lonely. And the older you get, the data shows that the less friends you have. Surveys show that people over the age of 65 report having less than even two friends now. Uh, Of course, other generations and times before, they were much higher than that. Younger people report having actually more friends, but uh, because they're active on social media, these are thinner relationships. 27% of Americans say that they never feel as though other people understand them. Just let that sink in. One in four people right now say nobody gets them. Nobody understands them. And that's an insane statistic. Doctors have reported that persistent loneliness has a bodily effect as if you're smoking 15 cigarettes a day. There's an 80-year-old Harvard study, one of the oldest in the country from 1938, that reports that the most important factor for your health, for, uh, for your well-being, is actually this, the degree of the strength of your relationships. See, the data is overwhelming, and yet, and yet the prioritization that we have the, the, to, to even conceptualize, even how we conceptualize our relationships is at an all-time low. The, the way that we prioritize or the fact that we don't is mind-boggling compared to what we know. This, is most, this was actually became most evident, evident to me watching uh, the Lord of the Rings movies. This is years ago. We were in the theaters, and every time there was a scene between the friendship of Frodo and Sam, they're fighting hardships, they're on a journey, they're serving each other, Sam swimming towards Frodo when he's trying to leave him. Whenever there was a scene like that, that showed real friendship and a real bond between uh, them, people in the movie theater just started outright laughing and snickering at, at the relationship. The whole movie theater, they couldn't fathom the bond where one's life was so connected to another's life. It's the same reason why I think a lot of folks have laughed at and assumed at the relationship between David and Jonathan in the Bible. People assume it was more than friendship because our modern minds can't fathom the depth 
of care, of relationship that's found here. So we're looking at the life of David because we're trying to look at our own lives uh, today. Um, so we're going to look at we're going to try to look at three different passages, mainly one, but really we we have to span all of them because the nature of David and Jonathan's relationship is um, that kind of relationship is sorely lacking in our culture and really also in our church. Sociologist Robert Bella pinpoints the problem. He says in his book Habits of the Heart that the issue is the American self. Is, is based on a culture of the unencumbered self. That what we most want in life is to be unencumbered from being able to have our own happiness, to, to not let anybody tell us what we want or who we are, to do what we want with ourselves. Right? Most of our movies actually say just that, that the greatest good is following one's heart. To, not, to, to be who you want to be and not let anybody else tell you who you should be. This, of course, is a lie because how can you develop deep, giving relationships if you're beholden to no one? How can you actually have this deep commitment if the very nature of our happiness is dependent that we don't make those commitments? And I think this text shows us precisely this. So let's do uh, this in two ways. Let's look at what real friendship is and then what real friendship is not. Just what it is and then what it's not. Very simple today. Let's start with what it's not. And real friendship is not at least, I think, two things. The first thing is real friendship is not what I'll call transactional alliance. What do I mean by that? If you go to uh, chapter 18, verse 2, there you see Saul trying to keep David with him. He does not want him to go to his own home and family, it says. And uh, the reason why is because Saul knows that if, if David leaves, he can't open doors for him. Because David's popular now. People are singing and dancing his praises. People are, are, are love his name. And, and Saul wants him for his gain. Saul's trying to bring therefore David further into his court in verse 2 at least. Later on we'll see that he, he then starts pushing him out. But he's trying to create a relationship with David based on how useful it is to him. Because it's beneficial. Because it's worthwhile for him. And I think this is actually the main way we do relationships today as well. It's called a transactional relationship because Saul sees David as a commodity. I think this is a problem um, for us because I don't think we realize that the friendships we have are actually based on this, that you can't be a real friend if you like the benefits of the relationship over the relationship itself. You can't be a real friend if you just like how... The relationship makes you feel and not more how you make them feel. So you go to verse 5. It says Saul kept sending him on missions and he kept elevating him in the ranks because this was pleasing to the troops. So notice he was only doing this because he, he was exploiting David's ability and popularity for his own gain. He wasn't protecting him. He wasn't concerned about his welfare. He wanted more out of David. He wanted more what David could do for him than what he could do for David. Very simply put. And I think our problem today is that we think we aren't in transactional re- relationships, which is why I think we're miffed when we call somebody out and we say, hey, this is wrong to our roommates or our friends, and they don't change, and the relationship just dries up and ends. And the problem is, is that we have no way of calling people out to our friends um, because, frankly, if they disagree with us, they just walk away. Because we have no way of doing it where we can 
say something where they might be able to disagree with us, but they know that we're still committed to them. So let me tell you why. Because it's a transactional relationship. See, are your friends able to say, after you've spoken a harsh truth to them, are they able to say at some level, Michael, thank you so much for bringing this to my attention. I'm not sure what I think about it. I need to think about it, but no matter what happens, I know that you're even saying this because it's best for me. Thank you. You know, I don't think a lot of us have those kinds of relationships. More often than not, we think we do, but then when we, we push and we say this truth, it doesn't work. Now, by the way, just so you know, you can say truth in any situation, but we know that change happens when there's a depth of a relationship that can support that care. So go back to those statistics again. Is it any wonder why we, don't, why we feel so lonely? What if I told you that the only reason why people are relating to you, that people are in a relationship with you, is to get something out of you? What if I told you that you tend to probably do the same to other individuals? That you, only, that you assess what I'm putting into what I'm getting out. And then you are in or out of that relationship based on that. What if people only stayed with you based on your performance? Based on what you offered? Guess how that would feel if you actually let that hit you? It would be awful. We would feel alone because we are alone. Because that's what happens when the world only values you based on what you can bring to the table. It's called commodification. You are a commodity to consume. Everything is consumption based on your production. And it's tiring and it's usury. And frankly, it's just, it's dehumanizing. uh, it's It's a dehumanization of the worst kind. And it's in your life right now and you don't even know it. You don't even know how prevalent it is. Where, before we move on, ask yourself, where has this been, happened to you and you've been hurt by it? But ask also, where have you done this to other people? Because we can't be fully human people. We can't even begin to deal with the problems of our world if we don't actually deal with this. The second thing that real friendship is not, I'll call it cancel culture. Go to 1 Samuel 19 and... Um, In verse 4, it says there that Saul gets angry at David. He gets indignant at David. This is the the next um, passage. And he gets so angry at David and indignant that Jonathan, Saul's son, who is the heir to the throne, has to now talk Saul down. And he does this. How does he do it? By listing how David's benefited him. In other words, Jonathan knows that Saul is treating David like a transactional relationship. And so he tries to reason with him in the transactions. Look at the list. He says, David's not wronged you. He said, in verse 5, he says, uh, you know, he took his life in his, to his hands when he, when he killed Goliath. Uh, David's benefited you and all of Israel. You see, this list, what is David, Jonathan doing? He's trying to keep Saul from canceling David now, just one chapter after he was using him. Now, the canceling is very literally killing, but you, you get the point. We live in a cancel culture. Yes, I know, I can already hear what people will say. They're like, well, isn't there sometimes, isn't there times when we should get out of a relationship because it's abusive and, and, and it's caused harm? Well, of course. But what's happened now, and sociologists have pointed this out, is that we've labeled everything uh, abuse. Everything is toxic, and so we're not in, now we don't stay in anything. And ironically, it's just as bad to, to be in a relationship for, to your advantage as it is for you to cancel a relationship when it's now a disadvantage. Let's see. So cancel culture is just the opposite side of a transactional relationship. 
And we, by the way, the transactional relations has been around for about 50, 75 years. It used to stay in the marketplace. Now it's in all of our relationships. And we're like, where did cancel culture come from? It's just the other side of the coin. It's the same thing. And we are living in a time when our technology, the reason why we use it is it's made it so easy just to cut off, to ghost, where we don't have to listen where, we're com- where the other person's coming from. We don't have to put ourselves in their shoes. We don't have to ask, hmm, what's it like to be you? Right? Because we can just say, you know what? I'm done with this. There's no agree to disagree. There's no somehow disagree on some issues but stay unified in other ones. And this is what's so hard because the church, the institution of the church, is the only institution in the entire world that God gave specifically to his people to be a place where natural enemies can come together and because of the power of grace, stay together. That we're at, well, What's actually happening when we leave is that we are denying the power of the Holy Spirit. When we divide, that's exactly what's happening. And so we have to ask again, another question is, who have we canceled like Saul? Who have we written off? Who have we cut off? Because you can't even. When actually, you really could. See, I'm not saying that there's not abusive relationships out there. I am saying there's pro- there are probably a lot less abuse. That some of them are a lot less abusive than what we make them out to be. Because we've labeled everything that way. And we wonder why we have no friends. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them. Which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. It's because we have transactional relationships that we cut off in the minute that they don't fit into our cultivated, unencumbered selves, as Robert Bella put it. And this process has left us lonely, thin, with these exclusion zones that surround us. And so, fine. Uh, Last point. What does the text then say what real friendship is. And I think there's three things here. Go back to chapter 18, and um, we see one spirit, love, and covenant. And these words sometimes are used interchangeably in our text. Verse 1 says one spirit. Um, But the word love shows up in verse 1 and verse 3. And those are in reference to the covenant. And so um, they're interrelated. But look, look at one spirit in verse 1. Some translations say the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, like it was engrafted, like it was um, sewn together. And the image is one of, of, of a tight togetherness, where you can't differentiate between the two pieces. In other words, there's a, a relationship that is so one that you don't say, well, this is mine and this is yours. That you don't actually make those kind of distinctions, which is, by the way, why in marriages I, I, I tend to not think you should keep separate accounts. You should be together. We shouldn't be creating a, a differentiation between our possessions or our rights or our glory. 
in marriages, in churches, in relationships. Because what we should want is we want what's best for the other person. Because that other person is you. You are them and they are you. Whatever, um, whatever that means, it's a bond of closeness. It's a relational depth that goes far beyond uh, what we would even call family today. Or how we use families today. Uh, the second term here about what a, a, a um, real friendship is is comes into this word love. And I, it's such a hard word to use in our modern language. Uh, the word love is watered down. I made fun of this a couple weeks ago about you can fall into love and then you can fall out of love. It's like, oh, I'm in love. I'm out of love. But modern love is a conception of something that you can get in and out of. But the Hebrew word for love here is a very particular ty- type of, of love. It's called chesed. It means loyal love, dependable love. Loving kindness, love that does not leave, love that stays. That is a very different concept than how we normally define it. It's not a feeling then, by the way. Love, biblical love is not primarily a feeling. It's an action. It's a commitment to be there always and forever and to never forget. That committed love is what Jonathan and David had for each other. Brotherly love. That's where the word Philadelphia comes from. It's a very particular type of love. Now, lastly, go down to verse 3, and it says um, they made a covenant. And you go to verse 19, they made a covenant. Sorry, you go to chapter 19, they said they made a covenant. You go to chapter 23, they, they keep making these covenants. What's a covenant? It's an action of love. It's a promise, an unbreakable contract. And notice they have to keep renewing it. Side point. When we take communion, when, when we finally get back into services, which we're hoping is very soon, we're gonna, what, what communion is, it's, it is a t- physical, tangible moment when the body is gathered together in a physical space to actually drink the promises, the covenants that, that we make to God and God made to us. Church membership is a covenant, by the way. What you're saying in, in, in a church membership is you actually you make vows, don't you? You make a commitment to the church. And guess what? The church is making a commitment to you too. It's a commitment back. So church, co- church membership is a covenant. And so I, think, I feel like people who, who don't join churches, who, are, who if you don't do church membership, I where you have a transactional relationship with your church. I'm in it as long as I'm getting something out of it. That's not a covenant. That's not, that's not actually a promise. Now, notice a covenant, a church membership is not till death do us part. But it's a stronger bond than just I'm in or I'm out. Now, marriage, what do you say in marriage? It's, it's a covenant too. There's a promise, right? You make vows. Do you say, I promise to be in this as long as I feel like I like you? No. <laughs> what do you say? Often you say, I promise before God and these witnesses until death do us part. Again, that's covenantal language. That's what the Bible holds up as the relationships that will create the safest space for your humanity, for your human flourishing, and for the flourishing of other people. Because in a transactional relationship, what's ended up happening in a transactional relationship is you're in the relationship as long as it profits you, as long as you get something out of it. But a covenantal relationship, you stay in it sometimes for years and years and years, and there's no benefit. Think of a relationship between a parent and a child. 
Think of a relationship between uh, maybe a son and a daughter where you're taking care of, maybe you're the son or daughter and you're taking care of your parents at the end of their life. See, there's there's going to be relationships that can exist for years and there's you get nothing out of it. Or not as much as you're putting into it at least. So go back to the text and David and Jonathan, they're loving each other. They're covenanting together. They're one, they're one another in they're, 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 they're in this one unity relationship. And so the reason why they make these bonds, these covenants as an action, what's happening? Uh, go back to verse 4 in, in chapter 18. Jonathan takes off his cloak. He takes off his robe. He takes off his ring, his tunic, his sword, his belt. Right? And this is not just a, a mere costume change. What, what Jonathan is doing is he's symbolizing what it's going to have to take for them to be stay in relationship. Because Jonathan's robe was his priestly garment. It designated him as the next in line to the throne. His tunic was his possession. His sword and his bow as a warrior was the way he defended himself. And when he gives them all up, he's basically saying, I'm going to be killable for you. You don't hand over your weapons to someone unless you're essentially entrusting your life to them. And Jonathan was doing precisely that. He was saying, if I'm going to stay in relationship with you, if you're going to be on the throne, then it means I'm not going to be on the throne. Right? There, was not, there was an either or here. He makes himself killable because of the covenant that he made with David. And so that David could become king. And guess what? People don't point this out. Now that when David gets on the throne, who's actually the biggest threat to his throne? Jonathan is. Every day that he stays alive and his his um, children stay alive is a threat to somebody who might try to depose him, kill him, and replace him with Jonathan's heirs. With, with, with yeah, with with his family. See, every other king, when you want to consolidate your power, you get rid of the risks, and David doesn't because he is in relation with Jonathan. In other words, to stay in relation with people, often it hurts. Often you're giving up some of the immediate benefits that you could have. And so it's a risk. When you say, I want what's best for you, that might mean it's not what's always best for me. Here, take my royal robe. Take the blessing I should get, David. And then when David says, okay, thank you so much, I'm not going to actually do what everybody else does and get rid of you. You're going to stay. Both are making these risks. Thanks for being here in this kingdom. Thank you for for doing this. It's not always what's best for me, but it's what's best for you. Because when we make a promise to be in fellowship, that is what it looks like. Why? Because that's the basis of true friendship. Jonathan had the legal right. There's so often, guess what? For you to stay in relation with somebody, you might have the legal right to cut that person out and you don't take it. Jonathan was a warrior. He could have actually defended himself. He could have actually ended David many times. He could have ended David as the threat and assumed his throne. But he doesn't do it. Where in your life are you saying, I don't want just what's best for me, I want what's best for thee? Where in your life are you saying, I don't want just what I want, I want what they, what they, what's best for them? How can I make them flourish? So do you see the, con- the contrast here? A transactional relationship, you stay in only if it benefits you. A covenantal one, you stay in as long as it benefits them. Trans- and by-, by the way, this doesn't mean covenantal relationships are never beneficial. Sometimes they are. 
But transactional ones are only assessed in the immediate. David and Jonathan's relationship, I, I, I tried to point it out over multiple chapters. It was over many, many years. I remember talking, counseling um, somebody in our church. They were struggling with one of these friendships. This was years ago. And the person that they were in relation with was draining. The person would only ever talk about themselves. They would meet up for coffee or, or go out to eat. And it was always about them. All their needs, all their issues. And sometimes my, this friend would, would call me and say, I just can't handle this anymore. It's just so draining. What's so interesting is very recently, now that this person's been in, been in this relation for 10 plus years, he so appreciates that relationship. How deep it is. How much trust is there. How much um, camaraderie and value and, and then just the depth of the relationship. And actually, it has eventually benefited him. But it took years and years and years without him seeing it. Derek Kigner, in uh, his commentary on Proverbs, actually says biblical friendship, the definition of it is that you don't leave. This is in Proverbs 18. That friends stick closer than a brother, it says. True friends never let you down. They always let you in. They never give up. Do you have those in your life? Yes, I know you're already thinking of like some... Instances where you needed to cut people off. But do you have anyone that you haven't cut off? That you have this depth? I mean, the, the church is the very place where this is supposed to happen. The, the, we are supposed to, our existence is literally designed so that we could have these relationships across people who you normally would be friends with. Across people who you, you know, normally would be enemies what are you willing to give up to have those relationships? What are you willing to kind of sacrifice, right? Your lives are, we live in New York City, they're probably already full. You, you have a full plate already. You're going to have to cut something out to have those. And you should do it because, not just because the data says that it's uh, beneficial for your health, not just because um, it fully makes you fully human, but because it is a good in and of itself. What if LSQ did this? What if we were more committed to each other than our own, just our own stuff and needs? What if we didn't, hide behind corporate culture for the sake of clean lines and, and protocols. Do we just sit with people anymore? Do we just listen to the stories and share? Hospitality is at the core of this. To, uh, time is at the core of this. That we need to actually have it to do it. Let me try to close in this way. The only way that I know for us to get this into our lives is you can't make promises to people unless promises have been made to you. I'm just going to be very blunt about it right now. We don't, we're out of time. That is that what, what, the only way that you're going to be able to make these kind of commitments is if these commitments have been made to you, and that's what we have in the person of Jesus. John 15 is the best passage about this. Jesus commands people to love one another, but he roots it in the fact that I have loved you. So in verse 13 of chapter 15, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, I call you friends. What is he getting at? He's saying, if you make a promise to someone, you don't leave. Even it costs you. But the way to do that is that you know that promises have been made to you. And that's precisely what you see on the cross. If you want to know why you and I don't have to worry if somebody's going to break a covenant with us, it's because we know that God will never break his covenant with, with you. 
He proved his love already. It's written in the stars. It's, it's in history. It's in existence that we can throw ourselves into each other's lives with reckless abandon, abandon, knowing full well that people will fail us, knowing full well that they won't actually provide for us because we know that God will never fail us or, and he will always provide for us in the person of Jesus. I got ditched by you. Not going to get ditched by God. I got dumped by you. I'm not going to get dumped by God. I got... Uh, I'm in a strained relationship with you right now, but not with my God. The proof of his love is what he did on the cross, and then the resurrection is the receipt to know that the new heavens and new earth are going to bring this into fruition throughout all of creation, that the broken relationships we have that are so draining aren't going to always be that way. That when the immortal becomes mortal and the infinite becomes finite, when the whole was torn in the person of Jesus, you and I now can, can persevere much longer than we thought we could. And friends, if you're not a Christian, if you're watching this, you should ask yourself, what kind of relationship, what will keep you in relationships when they get hard? What, what will keep you from just resigning ourselves to a transactional relationship? Because in Jesus, you have a relationship, a covenant where he'll never leave you. He'll never let you down. And the truth is you'll never be able to care for others beyond what you can give back unless you see how he cared for you without asking for you to to give anything back. Covenantal relationships stick and the only way that you will get the motivation to stick with someone even when it's hard, even when it's not beneficial, is to see that Jesus did exactly that for you. It wasn't easy to stay on the cross for you, but he did and because he stayed, We can too. Because Jesus is that true Jonathan. He took off that robe. He took off his kingship. He went down from the throne. He gave up his life so that we could give up our lives. And he gave up more than we did. Jonathan, by the way, gave up more than David did. Right? He could have been king. He could have legally done what he wanted to do, but he didn't. Someone always gives up more in the covenantal relationship Jesus did for you. And so now you can do the same for others. All humans are made in God's image. All are valuable so we can stay. Do you see how practical this is? In Jesus, when you hold on to that, every slight that comes, every injury that comes, you don't have to now love other people for what, for, because they love you. You don't have to give to other people because they give to you. You can now just be Jonathan's in your, your relationships. You can advocate for others like 1 Samuel 19 with Jonathan. You can defend others like 1 Samuel 23 like Jonathan. This could be, this should be the very, the single greatest distinction Christians have in this city to bring joy in the city. Let's move from the transactional to the covenantal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, make us ambassadors, servants, of others, right? To love God and love our neighbor, we, we need to know the love that's come from you. Turn our hearts and minds to you, Father. There's so much suffering. There's our, our brothers and sisters in the Bronx. There's brothers and sisters everywhere, Father, that are hurting. And I, well, let us move into these spaces to be salt and light, to be caretakers and lovers and, and men and women of, of integrity. And Father, we go out not in... in weakness but in strength because we've been poured into ourselves I pray that we would as the church do it with each other but but receive it ultimately through you help us do that digitally 
knowing that it's, it won't always be this way. We pray things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.